If you will, turn in your Bibles to the 49th chapter of the book of uh, Jeremiah as we continue our study through the Word. Now, you'll remember that uh, from chapter 46 forwards that the book of Jeremiah has been organized around the prophecies and the judgments that Jeremiah had against uh, the various Gentile nations that surrounded uh, Judah. We saw last time the Philistines and the judgments against them, the Moabites and the judgments against them. And, and now as we come to this 49th chapter, we are going to see the Ammonites, the Edomites. We are uh, going to see Damascus and Elam. So we've got a number of these uh, nations here that Jeremiah is going to be speaking to as the Lord now speaks these prophecies. Uh, Here it begins in verse 1 of this 49th chapter and it says, Against the Ammonites, thus says the Lord. Now, the Ammonites are located on the eastern side of the Jordan River, so they border the nation of Israel, but they were north of the Moabites, north of Moab. And and so we see that uh, they end up uh, allied with Judah against Babylon during Judah's final conflict and final revolt there. But we see that throughout history, these nations were perpetually in conflict uh, with uh, one another. And so now the Lord speaking to the, the Ammonites, has Israel no sons? Has he no heir? Why then does Milcom inherit Gad and his people dwell in its cities? Therefore, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will cause to be heard an alarm of war uh, in Rabbah, of the Ammonites, and it shall be a desolate mound, and her villages uh, shall be burned with fire, and then Israel shall take possession of his inheritance, uh, says the Lord. And so here we see that uh, the Ammon had taken the territory that had belonged to the Israelites, had belonged to the tribe of Gad. And so they had now conquered that territory and were dwelling in it. And so we see that God now is declaring judgment against them for coming and in living in its towns. Remember that God said that he would bless those that blesses the nation of Israel and he will come against those that come against him. And so he Here we see that there was always kind of this ebb and flow of the strength of the nations. And uh, and so here we see that Ammon, when they had opportunity, leveraged that opportunity to come and to dwell into the the city now that had belonged to the nation of Israel. And so God is speaking now uh, to them. Verse 3, Wail, O Heshbon. For Ai is plundered, and cry, you daughters of Rabbah, gird yourselves with sackcloth, lament and run to and fro by the walls, for Milcom shall go into captivity with his priests and his princes and together. And so the capital city of Ammon was uh, Rabbah, uh, and Rabbah is going to be destroyed. Its walls are going to be torn down, and uh, Israel is going to drive the Ammonites uh, that had settled in her villages uh, out. And uh, so, verse 4, Why do you boast in the valleys? 
your flowing valley, O backsliding daughter who trusted in her treasures, saying, who will come against me? Behold, I will bring fear upon you, says the Lord God of hosts. From all those who are around you, you shall be driven out, everyone headlong, and no one will gather those who wander off. But afterward, I will bring back the captives of the people of Ammon, says the Lord. So they had taken the land. They were feeling pretty good about themselves. They were feeling smug in their sin now. And, and so oftentimes that is the trajectory. We, we kind of step into sin gently and slowly, kind of cautiously fearful that there is going to be consequences uh, imminently. And, and then nothing really happens and, and no one finds out and there is no judgment that falls the lightning doesn't to hit you from the uh, sky and uh, and pretty soon you start to get bolder and bolder in your sin and then the next step is when you normalize that sin now do you know what that everybody's doing it that's not even a sin anymore and uh, and so you get to this place where where now your conscience is seared and and, and that is what had happened with the, the Ammonites it says that your trust in your own treasure you're looking around and you're feeling now quite comfortable but you're still in sin and judgment is still coming and and so oftentimes because the grace of God gives us time to repent we see that sometimes that becomes a liberty that people go deeper into sin because uh, they have not experienced that that judgment or that consequence uh, yet but the judgment was coming. They were going to be destroyed out of uh, the, uh, the territory that they had taken here. But then we see the grace of God again. We see in verse 6, but afterward I will bring back the captives of the people of uh, Ammon. And so she had trusted in her riches. She felt secure enough to, uh, to question who would have the courage to uh, even attack her. But we see that after the judgment uh, comes and then God's in grace he vows that he is going to uh, restore them in their land uh, and so the the grace uh, of God we see that God's desire is not to crush us God's desire is to turn us away from sin and back to himself he has a future and a hope for us and and I think that sometimes we can think that uh, that when we blow it that God God is angry at us. God is mad at us. We're going to be cast aside, and and that's just kind of the end of everything. But but God only uses consequences in our lives to be able to draw us into a deeper, more committed, more intimate relationship. He will give grace to allow you to turn. But God always uses and listen to this. It's one of the things that I love about God. He always uses the least force necessary to turn our heart back and toward him sometimes he he gives the grace of allowing you more time and and then he will send you warnings and then he'll start to prick your conscience and and then finally when you won't listen to any other measure then he will increase uh, the temperature and God has a lot of ways of turning up uh, the temperature and and so I always want to be turned quickly and easily it says that God's desire 
desire is, is that he would guide us with his eye. That, that's his desire. And you know, that eye contact, uh, it always makes me think of my mother sitting at the kitchen table. Your, your moms have that look, you know? I mean, moms like have this look. They just look at you with their eyes and it's like, okay, I'm doing something wrong here, you know? And there's not a word is spoken, but she's guiding you with uh, uh, her eyes. That's about the least force necessary that there is just guiding with their eyes that's the that's the level of intimacy and communion and fellowship that god desires we see the grace of god even in the judgment uh, of god we see that afterwards that uh, that he is going to restore them once uh, again now on edom here in verse 7 it says against edom thus says the lord of hosts then now the country of edom is located just in the south now of moab uh, over on the east side the Dead Sea uh, and also we see that it has this tremendous history of conflict with Judah. It, it, it became a symbol uh, really of all of the heathen nations that were in opposition to Judah and, and so Edom and the Edomites. Now the Edomites were descendants of Esau and you'll remember Jacob and Esau and how he sold his birthright for the pot of stew and, uh, and all. Now interesting also in the lineage of Esau Herod, uh, Herod the Great uh, was an Edomite. came from Edom. And you remember that, that he gets installed by the Romans as the king over the nation of Israel. But he wasn't Jewish. Uh, he was an Edomite. And so he was always concerned uh, that they were never going to accept him. He was always insecure uh, in his uh, role there as king. And, and that's because uh, he was uh, an Edomite. He had married a, uh, a Jewish uh, woman and, uh, and all. But we see here that uh, this now the judgment against uh, Edom uh, is wisdom no more uh, in Temen has counsel perished from the prudent has their wisdom vanished now the men of Temen goes all the way back to the book of Job, uh, uh, Eliphaz, the Temanite. We see there Edom was known for its wise uh, men. And so Timon is in the center uh, location of the nation of uh, Edom. And, and it says, flee, turn back. Dwell in the depths, O inhabitants of Dedan, for I will bring the calamity of Esau upon him the time that I will punish him. If grape gatherers came to you, would they not leave some gleaning grapes? If thieves by night, uh, would they not destroy until they have enough? But I have made Esau bear. I have uncovered her secret places and he shall not be able to hide himself. His descendants are plundered, his brethren and his neighbors, and he is no more. Leave your fatherless children. I will preserve them alive and let your widows trust uh, in me. We see that there were Dedanites that were living now in Edom. And here we see that, uh, that the Lord is telling them to flee out of Edom because God is going to bring judgment uh, upon uh, Edom. It says in verse 12, for thus says the Lord, behold, those whose judgment was not to drink of the cup have assuredly drunk. And are you the one who will altogether go unpunished? 
You shall not go unpunished, but you shall surely drink of it. For I have sworn by myself, says the Lord, that Basra shall become a desolation, a reproach, a waste, and a curse. And all its cities shall be perpetual wastes. Now, we see here that uh, if the nations that were farther away from uh, Israel, if they are being judged for their mistreatment of the nation of Israel, what of the ones that had close proximity to her now? And so the question, do you think that you will escape punishment uh, or judgment? And, uh, and here we see that, uh, that the answer, of course, is, is no. God is going to make the city of uh, Basra there and Edom a ruin and an uh, object uh, of uh, horror. Verse 14, I have heard a message from the Lord and an ambassador has been sent to the nations. Gather together, come against her and rise up to battle. For indeed I will make you small among nations, despised uh, among men. Your fierceness has deceived you. The pride of your heart O you who dwell in the clefts of the rock, who hold the height of the hill, though you make your nest as high as the eagle, I will bring you down from there, says the Lord. Now, Petra is in Edom, and Petra was this city that was carved into the rocks and, uh, and into the clefts. And, and so here they were very prideful that no one could attack them. No one, no one could take and destroy uh, these cities and these places uh, here. And so we see that the Lord is telling them the pride of your heart. The fierceness, your fierceness has deceived you. You, you have allowed pride to rise up in your heart. Pride is something that God judges. Pride is that inward attitude of self-exaltation. We see that Jesus taught us and told us to humble ourselves, that the way up is down into humility and, and is about loving others and serving others. Jesus said that he didn't come to be served, uh, but to serve. And, and we are to follow that example. What is pride? Pride is the exact opposite of humility. And so we see that these two in contrast uh, to one another. Humility uh, is preferring others before yourself. And pride is exalting yourself over. Uh, over others uh, here and and so the the world operates uh, on the basis of uh, of exaltation of exalting yourself uh, over others and we see that the kingdom of God operates in humility where the greatest uh, are the least uh, where the servant is to be the servant of uh, of all and so we see the pride uh, now of these nations uh, being judged uh, thinking that they are superior you're thinking that, uh, that the Edomites thought that they were more fierce than, uh, than anybody else and that that was the, uh, the ticket to their success and, uh, and to their greatness. But here we see that God judges all of that. What is man but what God has made us and to be? What gift do we have but what God has given to us? And, and so what do we have to be prideful of? If everything you have is a gift, if every single thing that you have has uh, been given to you, 
than by what can you stand in pride before God. For God gave uh, all the gifts unto you. And so here we see that uh, the pride of their hearts uh, now. But God says, though you made your nest as high as the eagle, I can take that down. I can tear that down. I will bring you down from there, says the Lord. And Edom also shall be an astonishment. Everyone who goes by it will be astonished and will hiss at all its plagues. As in the overthrow of Sodom and Gomorrah and their neighbors, uh, says the Lord, no one shall remain there, nor shall a son of man dwell uh, in it. And so her natural defenses or fortified defenses made them feel safe and secure they were trusting in their own defenses but we see here that God would take them down from their lofty perch and Edom was going to be destroyed totally like Sodom and Gomorrah so that no one would dwell there behold he shall come up like a lion from the floodplain of the Jordan against the dwelling place of the strong but I will suddenly make him run away from her and who is a chosen man that I may appoint over her? For who is like me? Who will arraign me? And who is that shepherd who will withstand me? And so here we see that uh, Jeremiah is declaring that God is as fierce as a lion and he is going to rise up. So the picture is this lion rising up and chasing them uh, out of their land, chasing them uh, out of Edom. They, they had prided themselves on their fierceness, but now God is going to send a lion. They're going to run away from the lion. They're going to run away from uh, the fierceness uh, of God as he brings brings judgment uh, upon them. Therefore, hear the counsel of the Lord that he has taken against Edom. And he purposes that he has proposed against the inhabitants of Timon. Surely the least of the flock shall draw them out. Surely he shall make their dwelling places desolate with them. The earth shakes at the noise of their fall. That the cry its noise is heard at the Red Sea. And behold, he shall come up and fly like the eagle and spread his wings over Basra. The heart of the mighty men of Edom in that day shall be like the heart of a woman in birth pangs. And so we see here that God now is declaring that he is going to drag away the, uh, the young of the flock. He's going to destroy the, the pastures of uh, Edom here. And the cry of destruction is going to be heard all the way to the Red Sea. Now, you'll remember the army that got destroyed in the Red Sea when the Egyptians were crossing the Red Sea, chasing after the Israelites, and, uh, and God destroyed the Egyptian army there in the Red Sea. And so hey, here we see the reference to the destruction of the Egyptian army as he is talking about the destruction now there in the land of Edom. And, and they had prided themselves on what? Hmm. On their military, on their fierceness uh, on their mm, soldiers but what does he say he says that in that day your courage is going to fail you and the very thing that they took pride in is the very thing that God is going to uh, address we see that Damascus uh, now the city of Damascus uh, is next uh, here verse 23 against Damascus 
Hamath and Arpad are shamed, for they have heard bad news. They are faint-hearted. There is trouble on the sea. It cannot be quiet. Damascus has grown feeble. She turns to flee, and fear has seized her. Anguish and sorrows have taken her like a woman in labor. Why is the city of praise not deserted, uh, the city of my joy? And therefore her young men shall fall in her streets, and all the men of war shall be cut off in that day, says the Lord of hosts. And I will kindle a fire in the wall of Damascus, and it shall consume the palaces of Ben-Hadid. And so the three major cities there of Syria, Syria is the nation, these are the, uh, the cities here, Hamath, Arpad, and Damascus are the three major cities uh, that are located. And, uh, and so here we see that uh, there is a description now uh, on the destruction of Damascus. Now, Nebuchadnezzar's army is going to come in and destroy Damascus uh, in, in Syria. Uh, her fortifications are going to be burned and God had vowed uh, to consume the the palace uh, now even of uh, Ben-Hadad. In verse uh, 28, against Kedar and against the kingdoms of Hazor, which Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, shall strike, thus says the Lord. Now, Kedar... This is a nomadic tribe, and so they would uh, move about. And what they were famous for is archers. They had tremendous uh, archers, and that was how they defended themselves uh, there uh, as a tribe. And, uh, and so they also traded. They had flocks. The, the Bedouins, the nomadic tribes, would move their flocks uh, around. And, uh, and so here we see that uh, in verse 28, Arise, go up to Kedar, and devastate the men of the east. Their tents and their flocks they shall take away, and they shall take for themselves their curtains, all their vessels uh, and their camels, for they shall cry out to them. Fear is uh, on every side. And so here is the picture of Nebuchadnezzar's army when it comes up and, uh, and encircles now uh, Kedar. Flee, get far away, dwell in the depths, O inhabitants of Hazor, says the Lord. For Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, has taken counsel against you and has conceived a plan against you. The military might of the Babylonians, and now all of a sudden here we see that Jeremiah says that Nebuchadnezzar has put a... a, a, a mark now on you has put a bullseye on you and he is now making a war plan against you and how absolutely terrifying that had to have been because of the power of the army of the Babylonians and and so here to to think that there is Nebuchadnezzar at a table and he, he is making plans against you here and so uh, flee, get uh, far uh, away, uh, arise, uh, go up to the wealthy nation that dwells uh, securely, says the Lord, which has neither gates nor bars dwelling alone. Their camels shall be for booty and the multitude of their cattle for plunder. And I will scatter to all winds those in the farthest corners and I will bring their calamity from all its sides, uh, says the Lord. And Hazer, 
shall be for a dwelling for jackals, a desolation forever. No one shall reside there, nor son of man dwell in it. And so Nebuchadnezzar's uh, destruction of uh, Hazar. Hazar, the people here are urged to flee and to hide in the deep caves because uh, Nebuchadnezzar is going to uh, come against them. The judgment now in verse 34 on Elam. Now, Elam was east of Babylon and today what is known as Iran. Uh, And so the word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah, the prophet against uh, Elam, in the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah, saying, thus uh, says the Lord of hosts. And so we see that this prophecy now is given uh, early on in the reign of uh, Zedekiah, so about... 597, about 600 years before Christ uh, is born. And and here God promises to break the bow of uh, Elam. Uh, And so the the once again that was uh, their tremendous strength was uh, in their uh, archery skills. And so verse 35, behold, I will break the bow of Elam, the foremost uh, of their might. And against the Elam, I will bring the four winds from the four quarters of heaven and scatter them toward all those winds. There shall be no nations where the outcasts of Elam will not go. For I will cause Elam to be dismayed before their enemies and before those who seek their life. I will bring disaster upon them. My fierce anger, says the Lord. And I will send the sword uh, after them until I have consumed them. And I will set my throne in Elam and will destroy from there the king and the princes, uh, says the Lord. But it shall come to pass in the latter days that I will bring back the captives of Elam, uh, says uh, the Lord. Now, there are those cities that says that they're going to remain in desolation. And uh, then there are the cities that it says that he will bring back the, uh, the captives back uh, into that land again. And so here we see the, the judgment upon Elam. But then uh, afterwards, uh, God is going to uh, allow the captives uh, now Uh, to return in the days and to come. As we come to chapter 50, we're going to see now that Jeremiah is going to move to the Babylonians. Now, remember that God has been using the Babylonians as an instrument, as a tool of judgment uh, upon the other nations. But uh, once God is finished using the Babylonians as an instrument, then he is going to bring judgment uh, even uh, upon his uh, instrument uh, here. And you remember why? Because they destroyed Jerusalem. They came against uh, Jerusalem. And once again, God promised that he will come against you if you come against his people. And so God's protective hand upon his people. And so the the Babylonians now are going to come underneath the prophetic word of judgment through Jeremiah. In verse 1, the word that the Lord spoke against Babylon and against the land of the Chaldeans by Jeremiah the prophet. Declare among the nations, proclaim and set up a standard. Proclaim, do not conceal it, 
Say, Babylon is taken, Bel is shamed, Murdoch is broken in pieces, her idols are humiliated, her images are broken in pieces. And so once again, in those days, they had their own gods, and, uh, and when the, their army beat your army, they were saying that their gods are stronger than the, your gods. And, uh, and so here, the God of Israel, the, this was why the, the nation believed that it would be impossible for the Babylonians to come up against them because they had the true and the living God. They have the temple. The, the false gods are never going to be able to come against the the true and the living God. But you'll remember that God refused to protect them because of their idolatry. And so he allowed the Babylonians to come and to be used as an instrument of, uh, of punishment, of his judgment against the nation of Israel. But what happened to the Babylonians when they defeated the Israelites? They exalted themselves uh, uh, and their gods above uh, uh, Jehovah, above the true and the uh, living God. And so now, God is going to humble the Babylonians uh, for their pride and for their arrogance and for the destruction of God's people. And, and so uh, here Babylon is taken. Bel is shamed. Bel and Marduk are their chief gods uh, here. And, uh, and they were the, the, the god, the storm god. And, uh, and so this was their, you know, their destructive, powerful uh, army was um, protected and uh, and empowered by uh, Marduk and uh, and so here the declaration from Jeremiah that Babylon is going to be judged and is going to mm, go down in verse three for out of the north a nation comes up against her which shall make her land desolate and no one shall dwell therein. And they shall move, they shall depart, both man and beast. Now, you remember that the Babylonians fall to Cyrus, to the Medo-Persians that, uh, that come. And some see the fulfillment of this prophecy uh, in the Medo-Persians' uh, destruction of Babylon. But there are a few problems with that. First of all, the Persians are from the east. They're not from the north. Uh, uh, and so that does not fit uh, here with this um, prophecy. We also see that when Cyrus takes Babylon, you remember that he doesn't destroy the, uh, the city. Uh, third, we see that, uh, that afterwards the city uh, remained uh, during and uh, after its uh, fall. And, uh, and so we see that there are um, problems with uh, Cyrus and with uh, the Medo-Persians destruction or, or, or conquering of the Babylonians that does not quite fit this. It also talks about to uh, hear the people of Israel and Judah are going to unite uh, together as a, a nation and return to Zion and bind themselves in an everlasting covenant. This also was not fulfilled uh, at the time of Babylon's fall in 539 BC. So 
we see that there is some partial fulfillment in this, but we see that the complete fulfillment is actually going to take place in the tribulation period when the Lord returns and judgment now is going to come upon the Babylon. In verse four, in those days and in that time, says the Lord, the children of Israel shall come, they and the children of Judah together, with continual weeping they shall come and seek the Lord their God. They shall ask the way to Zion with their faces toward it saying, come and let us join ourselves to the Lord in a perpetual covenant that will not be forgotten. And so here again, they're going to return to Zion and bind themselves to God in an everlasting covenant. We, we see it as interesting that the Jews today are returning back to their nation, but it is not to, to bind themselves into covenant with God. Israel today is very secular. You have the Orthodox Jews that are over there and uh, but the the nation as a whole and yet they are drawn to returning back uh, to their land and and God said that he would draw them from the four corners of the earth back to the land but also that he would draw them uh, in unbelief and and here we see it is so interesting to uh, to talk to the Jews uh, over there and and they have a restoration if you live anywhere in the world outside of Israel and you're a Jew and you want to come to Israel they they will pay and help you to come and to get set up they will help you into a, a place to live they will get you started and and help you out and so there is this invitation to all the Jews throughout the world to to come back to the uh, to the promised land to to the land that God has promised them but it's not to worship God. It, it is just a, uh, a calling, a yearning in their heart that they have, just like a, a, a homing device that God is drawing them to their nation. We see that that is going to change. It says that one day now they are going to long for God. It says that they're going to see him whom they pierce and they will weep, they will mourn as, uh, as one over their only begotten, that there is going to be a time when they are going going to desire to enter into a perpetual covenant with uh, God and and here is this picture it's the millennial kingdom of when Christ is now established there upon the throne and and their desire is going to be to come and to worship in the holy mountain of God this is not yet taking place but it will there is coming a day when every eye will see the return uh, of the Lord and every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory uh, of uh, God. And so these events are unfolding even, uh, even as uh, we are alive. It is an exciting time. We live in probably one of the most exciting prophetic times that, that you could choose. If you were to study prophecy and then to pick and to ask God, when you could be alive on the face of the earth, I believe that if you were a student of prophecy, this would be the time that you would uh, want
want to be uh, alive, when, uh, when God was going to rebirth the nation of Israel and, uh, and put it back together. The Ezekiel dry bones prophecy is just unbelievable that a nation uh, that is out of its uh, land that has been extinct uh, now would be brought back together, would be rebirthed and placed uh, back in. They resurrected the, the language. The language uh, had been lost and, uh, and so they, they have resurrected their, their language and they are back uh, into their land. Uh, and we see that and God says that it's the generation that sees these things that is not going to pass away. And, uh, and so uh, we are moving in close to the return of the Lord. We see that uh, not only is the geopolitical uh, environment moving, we're seeing the, the technology, the explosion of technology. We are uh, seeing plagues and pestilences. Has anybody seen any plagues or pestilences uh, uh, here in the world that uh, is rising up, that uh, the earth itself is going to begin to tremble with the earthquakes and the hurricanes and the, and the floods? It's almost as if the land itself wants to vomit uh, the sin of the world and the, uh, and the sin that is so polluted, uh, uh, this earth that God had created, and he, he had said that it is good. But uh, we are living in that very time when you look at the headlines and you see what's happening in the news around you. You see the degradation of, uh, of love. You see the isolation, uh, the, the love of people growing cold. You see the division that is occurring that is getting deeper and deeper rooted. And, uh, and all of these things are, are part of what is going to happen before the, the Lord returns and and here we have this picture of uh, of what it's going to be like in the millennial reign when uh, when they are returning to go and to worship uh, uh, on the holy mountain of God how glorious it is going to be when uh, that temple gets uh, rebuilt and boy when that temple gets rebuilt you can start to put a clock on things uh, even uh, more so and uh, and all of those things that are moving forwards and and so we are certainly uh, living in exciting times prior to 1948 prior to the nation of Israel being gathered back together again there were all of the promises of the <laughs> prophecies that still had to take place in the nation of Israel but it wasn't even a nation the people weren't even uh, in the land and, and so for uh, hundreds of years the and Christians have looked at that and and tried to figure out and to understand how are these prophecies uh, going to take place? And, and so that's where, if you've ever heard the term replacement theology, that's where replacement theology came in. They, they looked at all the promises to the nation of Israel that had not yet been fulfilled. And what do we do with these promises? And the land doesn't even exist. The nation doesn't exist. And so they said, you know what? The church must be the spiritual Israel. Uh, and so what they tried to do was to make all the unfulfilled promises to the 
physical nation of Israel apply to the church and to the spiritual Israel which they tried to uh, make uh, into the, uh, the church. And, and then in 1948, kapow, God brings back the nation of Israel and, uh, and replacement theology got replaced. Uh, it got thrown right out and, uh, and all of a sudden it's, oh, you mean the word of God actually means what the word of God uh, says, that, that God says what he means and means what he says. And when Jesus said that not one dot, not one tittle of the law will pass away and, and not be fulfilled, that Jesus actually meant uh, those things. And, uh, and so the promises of God, the absolute sure promises of God and these, these prophecies, we look at these prophecies right now and you know, they're judgments that happened you know, thousands of years ago and it can seem to be a little bit dry to us, but can you imagine at the time that these things were being recorded and God is declaring the things that he is going to do absolutely, unequivocally, completely and down to the details when he's writing that Babylon is gonna be destroyed, it, it, it's like ridiculous, you know? It's like saying that Amazon is gonna go broke, you know? I, I, I mean, who could even, it's like not even possible, you know? Amazon's taken over the world, you know? And, uh, and, and so these things that he is saying and these, these prophecies that, that he is writing at that time to these people were just unbelievable. And then, man, just like dominoes, bam, they start to come true, bam, they start to come true. And, and these nations fall into these judgments exactly as Jeremiah had said. And, and when you come to the other side of, of those things and you see these prophecies that, uh, that happened, the, the, the way that it encourages your trust in God and the prophecies that yet remain. Every single prophecy in the Bible is going to be fulfilled one day. Amen? Every single one is going to be fulfilled, not partially, but an absolute totality. And this is the revelation of how God demonstrates to us that he is real, that he is the true and the living God, and there is no other God. Look at the details of these prophecies specific to the way of how they're going to be attacked, where they're going to be attacked from. These aren't like these general, you know, uh, anybody can interpret them in any way, shape, or form. Named, uh, declared, uh, written down, sealed uh, in advance, and then exactly as these prophecies uh, are written, we are going to see them all come true. And so here we see the uh, the judgment against uh, Babylon uh, and these things are going to take place. Uh, uh, and so let us, they shall ask the way, verse five, to Zion, with their faces toward it, saying, come and let us join ourselves to the Lord in a perpetual covenant that will not be forgotten. My people have been lost to sheep. Their shepherds have led them astray. The false shepherds of the nation of Israel that would not listen to the prophets, the true prophets. And so here we see those leaders, the religious priests and high priests and all, their shepherds have led them astray. And they have turned them away on the mountains. They have gone from mountain to hill. They have forgotten their resting place. And all who found them have devoured them. And their adversaries said, we have not offended. 
because they sinned against the Lord, the habitation of justice, the Lord, the hope of their fathers. And, uh, and so here we see that these verses have to do with the restoration now of Israel and Judah. And uh, they're going to need to be restored because they've been like these lost sheep that have wandered uh, all over. And, and as they have now uh, been spread out, they have been devoured uh, every place that they have gone. It is unbelievable the anti-Semitism that exists uh, in the world today. The Jews are just supernaturally hated. They're, they're just supernaturally persecuted. And, and wherever they are, they, they are persecuted in, uh, in the countries. Anti-Semitism is, of course, uh, on the rise today throughout the uh, world. The enemy hates God's people uh, and seeks to destroy them. And, uh, you know, when, when you want to get back at somebody and you can't actually attack them, what you do is you attack what they love. And you see, God loves his people. Uh, and so the enemy seeks, uh, knowing that he cannot destroy, that he cannot destroy God, he, he, he seeks to persecute and to attack at the uh, apple of God's uh, eye. And, and so we, we see this satanically inspired persecution. I mean, even to you know, the, the, the annihilation, the destruction, even in World War II, and Hitler seeking to wipe off of the face of the uh, the earth of the the Jews but it's not just Hitler it's not just World War II you see throughout the plans and the plots to to try and destroy and to uh, wipe out the the Jews and uh, and today we still see that happening Islam uh, believes that they have to destroy uh, the nation of uh, Israel and push them into the sea to where they do not exist this uh, this is their desire and this is the fulfillment uh, of what they believe in their scriptures and and so i remember in israel one time we were over there talking and we were talking to the guide and the guide said how do you negotiate with somebody who doesn't believe that you have a right to exist how do you negotiate with them you see, every single negotiation, they only use it to take one step towards uh, what their ultimate goal is, which is to utterly and completely destroy you. And it's declared and stated. And, uh, and so this is one of the, the great problems of Iran's uh, nuclear power uh, and nuclear development uh, uh, of their weapons uh, is because the, the very first thing they're gonna do is they're gonna attack Israel and try and destroy them and, and so the prevention uh, of Iran's uh, development of those uh, nuclear missiles is of chief national security to the nation of uh, Israel and uh, and so this is one of the big geopolitical conflicts that is going on uh, today in that area and uh, and so here we see that uh, that now they are going to come and join themselves to, to the Lord in that perpetual covenant. We see that God did not defend them, that they have been like lost sheep, it says spread out on a mountain and wherever people found them, they devoured them. That has been fulfilled, the history of the persecution of the Jews uh, all over the, uh, the world. Why? Because they sinned against the Lord. See, 
God did not, uh, God vomited them out of the land because of their sin, and but he, he now will bring them back together uh, again, the, the Lord, the hope of their uh, fathers. We see verse eight, move from the midst of Babylon, go out of the land of the Chaldeans, and be like the rams before the flocks, for behold, I will raise and cause to come up against Babylon an assembly of great nations from the north country, Country, and they shall array themselves uh, against her. And from there she shall be captured. Their arrows shall be like those of an expert warrior. None shall return in vain. And Chaldea shall become plunder. And all who plunder her shall be satisfied, uh, says the Lord. Because you were glad, because you rejoiced, you destroyers of my heritage. When they destroyed Jerusalem, they rejoiced. When they mm, took the, the temple implements, they, they brought them back and made a parade uh, of them. And, uh, and here God is mm, calling them because you have grown fat like a heifer threshing grain and you bellow like bulls. Your mother shall be deeply ashamed. She who bore you shall be ashamed. Behold, the least of the nations shall be a wilderness, a dry land, and a desert. Because the wrath of the Lord, she shall not be inhabited, but she shall be wholly desolate. And everyone who goes by Babylon shall be horrified and, uh, and hiss uh, at her plagues. And so we see that there is the vow to make Babylon deserted and uninhabited. Verse 14, put yourself in array against Babylon all around. All you who bend the bow, shoot at her. Spare no arrows, for she has sinned against the Lord. Shout against her all around. She has given her hand. Her foundations have fallen. Her walls are thrown down. For it is the vengeance of the Lord. Take vengeance on her. As she has done, so do to her. Cut off the sower from Babylon. And him who handles the sickle at harvest time for fear of the oppressing sword, everyone shall turn to his own people and everyone shall flee to his own land. And so... Here we again, you see that this scene was not fulfilled when Cyrus attacked Babylon. And so it awaits now the future fulfillment, the future destruction of Babylon. Israel is like scattered sheep. The lions have driven him away. First, the king of Assyria devoured him. Remember the the Assyrians took the 10 lost tribes uh, of Israel and, and then Babylon and took Judah and, and the others. Now at last, this Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, has broken his bones. And therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I will punish the king of Babylon and his land as I have punished the king of Assyria. But I will bring back Israel to his home and he shall feed on Carmel and Bashan. Then his soul shall be satisfied on Mount Ephraim and Gilead. And in those days and in that time, says the Lord, the iniquity of Israel shall be sought, but there shall be none. And the sins of Judah, but they shall not be found. For I will pardon those uh, whom I preserve. And, uh, and so here we see that uh, God is indicating there is going to be a spiritual renewal that is going to take place with, uh, within his people. Go up against the land of Marathane, against it, and against the inhabitants of Pecot. Waste and utterly destroy them, says the Lord, and do according to all that I have commanded you. The sound of battle is in the land and of great destruction. How the hammer of the whole earth has been cut apart and broken. 
and how Babylon has become a desolation among the nations. I have laid a snare for you. You have indeed been trapped, O Babylon, and you were not aware. You have been found and also caught because you have contended against the Lord. The Lord has opened his armory and he has brought out the weapons of his indignation. For this is the work of the Lord God of hosts in the land of the Chaldeans. Come against her from the farthest and border. Open her storehouses. Cast her as a heap of ruins and destroy her utterly. Let nothing of her be left. Slay all her bulls. Let them go down to the slaughter. Woe to them. For their day has come, the time of their punishment. The voice of those who flee and escape from the land of Babylon declares in Zion the vengeance uh, of the Lord our God, the vengeance uh, uh, of his um, temple. And so here we see that the enemies of Babylon are going to come from afar to break open uh, and to pile up the the heaps uh, uh, of treasure. Call together the archers against Babylon. All you who bend the bow and camp against it all around. Let none of them escape. Repay her according to her work, according to all she has done due to her. For she has been proud against the Lord, against the Holy One of Israel. And therefore her young men shall fall in the streets and all her men of war shall be cut off in that day, says the Lord. Behold, I am against you, O most haughty one says the Lord God of hosts. For your day has come, the time that I will punish you. The most proud shall stumble and fall, and no one will raise him up. I will kindle a fire in his cities, and it will devour all around him. And so here we see that God emphasizes Babylon's haughtiness by calling attention to her pride. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the children of Israel were oppressed along with the children of Judah, and all who took them captive have held them fast. They have refused to let them go. Their Redeemer is strong. The Lord of hosts is his name, and he will thoroughly plead their case that he may give rest to the land and disquiet the inhabitants of Babylon. Now, remember, they go into captivity to the Babylonians, but here is the the promise that God is not finished and he will not let them stay in captivity and that he will bring them out. I love in verse 34, the Redeemer is strong. The Lord of hosts uh, is his name. A sword is against the Chaldeans. Verse 35 says the Lord against the inhabitants of Babylon and against her princes and her wise men. A sword is against the soothsayers. They will be fools. A sword is against her mighty men and they will be dismayed. A sword is against their horses, against their chariots, and against all the mixed uh, peoples who are in her midst, and they shall become like women. A sword is against her treasuries, and they will be robbed. A drought is against her waters, and they will be dried up, for it is the land of carved images, and they are insane with their idols. Therefore, the wild desert beasts shall dwell there with jackals and the ostriches shall dwell in it and it shall be inhabited no more forever nor shall it be dwelt in from generation to generation as God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah and their neighbors says the Lord so no one shall reside there nor son of man dwell in it we see when the destruction of Babylon takes place it will be absolutely total and complete Behold, a people shall come from the north and a great nation 
Many kings shall be raised up from the ends of the earth and they shall hold the bow and the lance. They are cruel and shall not show mercy. Their voice shall roar like the sea and they shall ride on horses set in array like a man for the battle against you, O daughter of Babylon. The king of Babylon has heard the report about them and his hands grow feeble. Anguish has taken hold of him, pangs as of a woman in childhood. But behold, he shall come up like a lion from the flood plain of the Jordan against the dwelling place of the strong. And I will make them suddenly run away from her. And who is the chosen man that I may appoint to over her? For who is like me? Who will arraign me? And who is that shepherd who will withstand me? And so again, like a lion attacking lambs, God is going to attack Babylon. Therefore, hear the counsel of the Lord that he has taken against Babylon and his purposes, that he has purposed against the land of the Chaldeans. Surely the least of the flock shall draw them out. Surely he will make their dwelling place desolate with them. At the noise of the taking of Babylon, the earth trembles and the cry is heard among the nations. And so the whole earth is going to tremble at his judgment of Babylon. And so here we see once again the grace of God and the judgment of God, the mercy of God, the kindness of God. But but also we see that God says what he means and God means what he says. And then he gives us the free will to choose how we are going to live our lives. We're blessed when we seek God's face and when we draw near to him and when we reject God, uh, then we suffer the consequences of that rejection. May we continue to pursue his face, pursue his blessings, pursue the goodness and the mercy of God and look up for our redemption is drawing near. Let's pray. Father, you are so good. We thank you for the way that you have declared the end from the beginning that we might know exactly where we stand, Lord. And so, Father, we thank you. We ask that you would help us to continue to keep you first in our lives, in our heart. And uh, Lord, that uh, over and over we see your warning against pride, against exalting self, and you invite us into that path of humility, Lord. Father, would you help each and every one of us, Lord, to follow after you more fully, more completely, and bless us now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.